Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, yeast is a fascinating organism found all over the world and used in various ways to make all sorts of food and drink, from bread and cheese to, of course, beer. Microbiologists at Diageo have just published a paper in Nature's Communications Biology Journal after having genetically traced back the yeast used in Guinness to find something quite surprising. Uh, joining me now is Daniel Karush. He is a group microbiologist at Diageo. Uh, welcome to the program, Daniel. What exactly is yeast anyway? So yeast is, is a single cell organism. Um, it's what we call a eukaryote, so it's the same as us. So it has the same cellular functions as us. It has chromosomes, it has mitochondria, it has all the things necessary um, to fulfill these cellular functions. But for us as brewers, uh, we use yeast to produce, obviously, to produce the alcohol and to produce the carbon dioxide, uh, but it also produces a number of flavors as well. Um, the yeast we use for Guinness is a yeast called Saccharomyces cerevisiae. And as you mentioned, um, it's the yeast that we use to make wine, the yeast we use to make cider, we use to make distilled spirits, we use to rise bread as well. And also we use it nowadays to use bioethanol production as well. What exactly does yeast do in food? So essentially what yeast does is it, um, it takes sugars and then it converts those sugars into energy for, this, for the yeast cell. Um, and what it does is when it converts it to this energy, it produces a byproduct, and that byproduct is ethanol um, and alcohol. And that's what, obviously, we, we, we like to imbibe from the beer. Um, and also it produces the fizz as well, so it produces the CO2. So in bread, for example, what we do is we use the yeast there to let the bread rise, and that's for the CO2 part of it. Although the yeast is actually, when it, you are making bread, it's also producing alcohol at the same time. And, and do we use the same a type of yeast for bread, cheese, and sourdough, and beer, and, and all those other products? We use different yeasts, but principally we do, in, interestingly enough, actually, for, for bread, we do actually use what this yeast species, the Saccharomyces cerevisiae species, and that's the same yeast we use to make ales and stouts, but as brewers, we use another yeast species, which is called Saccharomyces pastorianus. Um, but yeah, to all intents and purposes, we are using exactly the same kind of yeast to make bread, to make wine, and to make uh, to make beer as well. But but you said there's a, there's a difference there. What is the difference? Um, because yeast using this um, creating this product of of ethanol and the carbon dioxide, it must also have an effect on on flavour in some way. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm completely partisan, obviously, given what I do. I'm a microbiologist. I'm really into yeast. I really like yeast. Um, but I'm also a brewer as well. And I can tell you now that if you brew a beer with a different type of yeast, you will end up with a different flavor profile. Why is now, that? Well, interestingly enough, so the yeast produces a, a number of flavors. So, for example, sometimes you'll get like a banana-like flavor. Like you'll get sometimes you get a um, what we call um, a, a Poff flavor for vinaguacol, which is this lovely medicinal kind of flavor. Um, you'll also end up with stuff like um, uh, cherries as well. And kind of another one that people talk about a bit is like kind of nail varnishy kind of flavors. Um, and you can dial these flavors up and dial these flavors down depending on what yeast you're using. Um, the Guinness yeast, actually, interestingly enough, is not what we call a real flavorsome yeast. So what the Guinness yeast does, it does a lot of the back, the stuff behind the scenes, so it produces the alcohol really well. It's got great ethanol tolerance, so we can ferment quite high compared to other kinds of yeast. It rapidly ferments, and it uses also a range of different sugars, which is really good for us because, well, Diageo, they have a number of breweries in Africa, and in those breweries, we use a lot of local raw materials. And with this yeast, we can readily use these local raw materials. 
Do you use the same yeast in all different locations? Or if yeast is essentially doing the same thing, can you get that species of yeast locally? Or is there one... Because I, I remember on, during COVID, people were talking about their seeding yeast for their uh, serato and that they would they get this from a particular place. And, and, and presumably then that yeast, it's, a, it's genetically very similar and it just grows in cultures like, like as, as if it was in a petri dish. Is that the idea? Yeah. So we, what we do is we principally have, or Diageo has two yeast species. We have one yeast that we use to brew exclusively beer in St. James's Gate. And then we have another yeast species that we use to produce uh beer in our breweries in Africa. Both of the yeast are incredibly closely related. Um, they were isolated from the same group of yeast in 1959. And to all intents and purposes, they're the same yeast, except they have a slightly different behavior at the end of fermentation. But to all intents and purposes, they're the same yeast. Is that to do with heat in, in Africa? Um, or why would, why would you bother using different uh, yeast at all? So the reason why we use different yeast is that historically what we did is we, we used to create a thing called bottle conditioned beer. And this is where you would you would make your beer and then you add a little bit of yeast into it. And then essentially what you do is that goes out to the consumer and then the yeast remains viable in there and it removes the oxygen. And it was a way that we used to consume beer. Nowadays, we don't do that because we have pasteurization and we have a good supply chain. The reason why we chose to use the African yeast was because it didn't what we call flocculate. So flocculation is a behavior that happens at the end of fermentation when the yeast clumps together and it either rises to the top or rises or goes down to the bottom. And we chose to have a yeast that had poor flocculation characteristics, so it didn't clump well together, so it remained within the bottle. So it didn't basically it didn't um we had what we call good colloidal stability. So it remained within the beer essentially. I had no idea it was this technical when making beer. Obviously, I know that, you know, you, you have a brand, you got to, you know, you've got quality to control to think about. But I had no idea that A, Diageo had a microbiology lab and B, that you were publishing scientific papers, which is which is why I, I wanted to speak to you. Why are you publishing um, a scientific papers when Diageo is a, a drinks company? So historically, Guinness have published a, a, an awful lot of work so this is not something that's new right um it's just over the last few years we really haven't had the opportunity or the project that we thought were worth publishing um but me and my team we did something that we thought was of interest and we wanted to share our findings with with the public basically so, so tell me about this paper what exactly did you do um with the original guinness yeast and what did you find so I, I, we, I was very lucky, essentially. Um, so I started working for Diageo, and when I started working for Diageo, I already knew that they had this amazing yeast library. Um, but a I yeast had the library. Yeah, yeast library. So we, so, so there's a St James's Gate yeast library. It has between about 400 to 500 yeast species, but we're adding to it all the time. On top of that, we have about 300 bacterial species, um, and the yeast library dates back to 1903. So it has been in continuous library since 1903. In addition to that, we also have this fantastic resource, which is the Guinness Archive, uh, which one of my co-authors, Evelyn Colgan, she's... Um, She's a chief archivist. And what we're able to do is we're able to marry what was in the archive, so the written parts about the brews and all those kind of stuff, and we're able to marry those to the Guinness yeast that were in the library. So what we did is we took a total of um, 16 Guinness yeast from age from 1947 right to the stuff that we use today, and we were able to determine where the Guinness yeast had come from um, by using by basically assessing what was happening in the DNA. Um, when you say where it was coming from, what, what exactly do you mean? So... 
this is it's quite a rich trove of um, publications at the moment. So there's been a, a lot of work done upon this. So people have tried to determine where Saccharomyces cerevisiae come from. So there's been some great works done by um, some some people in, in mainland Europe. And what we were able to do was we were able to determine where our bits of DNA came from in terms of its geographical location. So what we did is each yeast has roughly about 12 and a half to 13 million different base pairs. So that's bits of DNA. And depending on where you are in your geographical location, you can work out exactly where that little piece of DNA originated from. So for it sounds example, like you're sort of um, doing sort of family tracing, like um, looking back at previous generations, like you can do um, online for $100. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's exactly the same principle, to be honest with you. So what we did was we, we, we sequenced our, our 16 Guinness yeast, and then we were able to determine the origins of the Guinness yeast by looking at this in a much, much bigger data set. Why would yeast come from anywhere else? I mean, is it is it that the technology might have um, been been transported thousands of years ago? Or why would there be um, anything but Irish um, yeast DNA in Guinness? So this is where it gets really interesting. So Saccharomyces cerevisiae, they they actually originated in China, or what what is now modern day China. Wow. And then over the years, what has happened is that human beings have um, found that these yeasts were very very useful, and we've domesticated these yeasts. So what has happened is you can you can clearly see from some of the work that's been done by other other groups that the yeast has actually moved in terms of from continent to continent, to group of people to group of people, and in the same way that we've domesticated human beings, we've domesticated sheep and pigs and cows, whatever. We've also domesticated yeast as well. <laughs> but ultimately, what we want to do is we want to find out exactly where the lineage of that yeast came from, and in terms of the Guinness yeast. The Guinness yeast has multiple lineages, which means that it's come from a group of individual places. Such as? So these, these, these pieces of DNA, essentially, what you can do, you contribute them to certain geographical locations. So part of our yeast genome came from the UK, part of, or, or Britain, sorry. Part of it came from um, Germany and Belgium. Part of it came from the US. But the majority, about 40% of the, of the genome, is come from somewhere that's unspecified. And when we say, okay, it's come from the US, it doesn't mean to say that the yeast actually originated in the US. It just means that brewers within the United States commonly use that yeast species. Right. This always sounds bad, um, but it's, it's just because I'm, I'm not familiar with this, this world. Why is this of, of interest or why is this useful information? I suppose it's useful information. You always want to know where things came from, really. And what we did is we did, we looked at the 16 Guinness yeast, but we also looked at six historical Irish brewing yeast. And what we found was that the six historical Irish brewing yeast group with another set of group of yeasts, which you'd expect, actually. So it's European yeast, essentially. But the Guinness yeast don't. So what happens to the Guinness yeast is that they are completely different. They form their own unique subpopulation. And actually, what's really interesting for us is that the Guinness yeast form their own unique subpopulation in any yeast that we've ever assessed. So of these thousands and thousands of yeast that people have assessed, nobody's ever found this grouping of Guinness yeast. So the universal ancestor of Guinness yeast, or the most immediate one, we don't know where that's come from. So for us, it was hugely interesting. It basically says that the Guinness yeast is almost completely unique. And and so if someone were to get their hands on the Guinness yeast, um, locked away as it is in a vault, would they would they have the secret to making Guinness? <laughs> um, the yeast is obviously is a hugely important part of making Guinness, but actually the secret of making Guinness is also to do with the roasting material, the way the brewers ferment the, f f ferment the malt, 
um, obviously the addition of nitrogen as well to give us a nice creaminess. So yeah, so obviously the, the, the yeast is a hugely important part of it, but um, it's not just the yeast on its own. It's the myriad of all those other ingredients as well. Really interesting speaking with you, Daniel Kurish, Group bio- Microbiologist at Diageo. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, thank you. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.